1: Heads up, there are a couple of F-bombs in this episode. It's a good thing we're a podcast. Justin, can you describe the hype about Camila Valieva going into the
0: Olympics? I think the words, best short program of all time, were used. And there is very much a case that right now, Camila Valieva is the best women's skater in the world.
1: Justin Peters is covering the Olympics for Slate. And yes, we're going to talk about how this 15-year-old skating phenom, Camila Valieva, popped a positive drug test. But before we get into all the controversy, Justin says it's worth noting just how good Valieva is, banned substances or not.
0: And you know, going into Beijing, she wasn't just the favorite in terms of she was gonna win a medal. She was the favorite in terms of, she would have been everyone's favorite skater because her routine was the best. What do you make of what you just saw from Camila Velieva?
1: It was incredible. History was made, but there was... I was watching tape of former Olympians Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski analyzing Velieva's form, like before any scandal broke out, and they were just so effusive the way they spoke about her. She is the triple threat. Technician, artist, and she is so mentally tough. And inspiring. Inspiring. My goodness. If that performance didn't inspire the whole world to take up ice skating, I don't know what would, but... They described her as a rainbow at some point. She's a perfect rainbow. You know, look how beautiful the extension is. She combines all of her jumps and melts them into the program, almost like each piece is a puzzle piece. There's nothing that is too much.
0: She's just graceful on the ice. She makes it look really easy, and she allows us to be swept away in her work.
1: It has been a precipitous fall from grace. When the news broke that Valieva had come up positive for a banned cardiac drug back in December, the outcome seemed obvious. Most countries would pull an athlete like that out of competition. But Russia? Russia's not most countries. So now, Valieva is still skating, still racking up high scores— She's just banned from the medal ceremony, just the headline here as competitors, as Olympians, Your reaction to the news
0: in the last hour.
1: Well, I strongly disagree with this decision. And you know what's amazing to me is watching some of the same commentators who were so effusive and over the top weeks ago and how they sound now watching Falieva.
0: Uh, They didn't say much of anything, did they? That was what was striking to me, that Valieva skated in near complete silence. I think Tara called out one or two of her jumps, but the rest of it was just the grinding of the blades on the ice and the music, which is rare because Tara and Johnny love talking about the skaters as they skate. And then afterwards, they were, well, that was the routine and that's all I can say about that. All I feel like I can say is that was the short program of Camila Valdiva at the Olympics.
1: And for all the other Olympic athletes skating here, I feel I need to say again that she had a positive test. We should not have seen this skate. And We are so sorry it's overshadowing
0: your Olympics. I think they feel cheated in a way.
1: Johnny Weir, he said that was the hardest event he'd ever had to cover. He seemed pissed off to me.
0: I think it's completely understandable, Mary. I mean, the problem goes back to Russia. The skaters that happen to be from Russia are, you know, playing under a completely different set of rules and not really getting uh, zapped for it at all.
1: Today on the show, how Russia gets away with it. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Walk me through how we got here with an athlete who tested positive for a banned substance somehow competing in the Olympics anyway. Like, where would you start?
0: Uh, I'll give you the short version of the long story, okay? Uh, it starts back in December when Valieva was taking one of the routine tests that every athlete that is a high-level international competitor takes.
1: These folks are tested all the time, right? Like, testers can show up at their house at, like, six in the morning.
0: It's, you know, part of the job. You know, yeah, ding-dong, it's me, uh, the piss man. like, and you know, <laughs> So the piss man shows up. To Kamila Valieva's door, you know, she gives her sample, and then it goes off for testing. But Russia, apparently, according to the World Anti-Doping Association, slow walks the sample. They do not mark it for expedited review.
1: Hold it, they can do that. Like Russia can make the choice. Like meh, this sample. Let's have a chill in the fridge for a
0: month. There's a lot less oversight here than uh, than you would think. The IOC basically leaves it up to each individual country's anti-doping agency to handle the testing and the initial provisional suspensions uh, for every athlete in their own country. And that sucks when you've got 194 countries whose you know, federations actually think that doping is a bad thing, and then you've got Russia... So it took six weeks to process Valyeva's sample. And in that six weeks, she competed, right? She competed. She competed. She made it her way all the way to Beijing after competing in international events, competed in the team's event for Russia, pardon me, the Russian Olympic Committee, led them to gold with a dazzling routine. And then that gold was immediately thrown into question when it came out that she had tested positive for... A banned substance, trimetazidine, which is a heart medication for which the Chinese swimmer Sun Yang was banned from international competition between the London Games and the Rio Games back almost eight years ago.
1: This drug is said to improve performance, like endurance in athletes.
0: Correct. It helps you stay out there on the ice when you're doing this strenuous thing for between three and seven minutes. And then it helps you recover as well. It gives you a training advantage, or at least it's said to.
1: And how was this test result released in the middle of the games?
0: It, it, it took six weeks to process. I mean, I, I, that's the thing. It was released in the middle of the games, I don't think because anyone was just trying to drop a bombshell. You know, I think everyone would have preferred to know this beforehand. My understanding is that they released the test results as soon as possible after they had finished testing the sample. At that point, the Russian anti-doping agency, Rosada, imposes a provisional suspension on Valieva. And then the next day, they lift the suspension on Valieva, presumably pending appeal.
1: Yeah. Is there some kind of procedure that clicks into place when, okay, there's been a positive test. So now this gets appealed to who? I'm not sure.
0: Yes. Well, first, it's, it's up to the individual countries' anti-doping commissions, and, and that's what happened. And then once Russia was like, it's fine, the IOC and some other bodies appealed the lifting of the suspension to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the CAS, which is the ultimate decider when it comes to uh, rules and rule breaking in major international competitions.
1: And so this court is like the Supreme
0: Court of sports? I guess you could call it that. Yeah, the Supreme Court of sports. That'd be a much better name. <laughs> so it goes to the Supreme Court of sports and uh, the arbitration panel decides to lift the suspension, allow Valieva to compete in the Olympics and says that, look, she will still face disciplinary proceedings for this at some point. But right now, bearing a bunch of factors in mind, we're going to let her skate anyway.
1: And then is it up to, like, the International Olympic Committee to decide who gets a medal and who gets to stand and hear an anthem?
0: Yeah, so right now, the sort of disciplinary proceeding, you know, I think goes back to Russia, which, you know, good luck, guys. You know,
1: I'm sure they'll take it very seriously.
0: Exactly. And now the... IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is in a position where they didn't want Volieva to skate. They were the appellants to uh, the Court of International Sport. And now they know they have a mess on their hands. They know everyone's going to be mad at them. And so what they're saying is, all right, you're going to skate, but because there's this doping case pending and basically because no one wants to clap for you if you win a medal— If you do land on the podium, we will not have a medal ceremony. And presumably they'll just mail them to her later, if, you know, it turns (laughs) out that she's cleared. I don't know. It's really weird, Mary. It it goes down to a few terms the court's decision did. One was the term protected person. The World Anti-Doping Code defines younger than 16 years old, as protected persons.
1: And Valeva's 15.
0: She's 15 years old, just like the uh, gold medalist for Russia from 2018 was, Zagatova. And Yulia Lipnitskaya in 2014 was 15 years old. And whoever skates for them in 2026 will be 15 years old as well. So she's 15 years old. And because of that, there is basically a lower uh, standard of guilt. It's not her fault to the extent that it would be an older person's fault.
1: You kind of alluded to it there, but doesn't that just create an incentive for teams to rely on athletes who are young, who are just blameless?
0: That's exactly what it does. And it's not a secret why Russia sends a 15-year-old girl every year as its medal contender uh, to the Olympics. On one hand, you sort of want someone who is young enough to still be limber and springy and not have creaky joints after jumping eight hours a day for a decade, right? So it makes sense. But also it makes sense if you are a sporting federation that has a history of flouting the rules and has seen a loophole through which you can slide uh, an athlete whom you can give some sort of extracurricular advantage to, And know that if she's called on it, it's likely that the penalties will be lower than it would be if you had an actual adult woman uh, skating uh, for your country.
1: Well, and it's notable that the U.S. team is comprised of a 16-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 22-year-old. All of those athletes, they are not protected people. So not only can they not dope, but they wouldn't get this kind of ruling if something was snuck into their coffee even.
0: No, they they wouldn't. And you've seen this before. There are ample examples of grown men and women, you know, athletes, not getting special treatment for transgressions that are much less performance-enhancing than uh, Valjevis was. You know, Shakari Richardson in the uh, Summer Games last year, she tested positive for weed before the games.
1: Which she used in a state where it was legal and exactly. which is not performance enhancing. No,
0: it's not going to make her run faster. It'll make her oversleep. You know, but because the United States takes doping seriously, they suspended her and didn't bother appealing it to the uh, Court of International Sport. Whereas, you know, Russia, which does not take this seriously, was like, it's fine.
1: We should say that Valieva's legal team says they have an explanation for her positive drug test in December. The explanation is that her grandfather was taking heart medication. She could have ingested it after drinking from the same water glass as him. What do you think of that explanation?
0: It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, (laughs) is there a chance that it's true? Sure, anything's possible. I could open up the window of my apartment right now and jump out of it, and I could fly like a bird. But it's not going to happen, and that's not what happened here. And to presume otherwise is to be, you know, sort of terribly naive. That's what I think, at least.
1: The fact that Valieva is a protected person, it raises this other issue of whether she was made to dope, and, and if she was, who made her do it. And you've written about her coach, in a really clarifying way, I think. The way you put it is this is not Ted Lasso we're dealing with here.
0: No, this is Cruella Deville we're dealing with here. Terry Tuparidze is the coach. She is a very polarizing figure in the skating world. She gets tremendous results out of her pubescent skaters. They're always pubescent skaters. So she's done this before. She's done this before. She. Um, was Alina Zagatova's coach when Zagatova won gold for uh, Russia in 2018 in Pyeongchang.
1: Also 15 years old. Also
0: 15 years old. She was Yulia Lipnitskaya's coach, as I mentioned, in 2014 when she... Also 15 years old. Also 15 years old. And the reason why these names might not ring a bell to our listeners is because... Tupuritsa's skaters have a habit of disappearing from the international scene pretty soon after the Olympics. Yulia Lipnitskaya entered residential treatment for anorexia a few years after she won gold in the teams in 2014 in Sochi. Alina Zagatova was a gold medalist who is now ranked, I believe, 71st in the world right now. Um, that's a precipitous drop in not that much time. And what people say about Ittari is that she is a very sort of harsh and demanding coach. Her techniques allow her skaters to do these very complicated triple and quadruple jumps, but it also destroys their bodies.
1: The way you put it was, she's a coach with a habit of using skaters up quickly, because for her, they're an infinitely renewable resource. Which made me so sad to read, but also seemed very on point.
0: And this is why the arbitration panel used the term irreparable harm when determining, well, should we ban Volieva from the rest of the games? They decided that they shouldn't because to do so would visit irreparable harm on the athlete. And I think what they meant by that is she's not coming back to skate for Russia again in 2026. Her window for international competition is this week. This is her shot to skate at the Olympics. And if we suspend her for a transgression that every thinking person realizes was not her idea, and she likely did not have agency in what was being done to her or what she was told to do, then she will bear the brunt of the punishment for this transgression in which she does not deserve most of the blame.
1: You know, I look at that, though, and I think the irreparable harm was done. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's true that she may not come back to skate again, but if you're talking about the real harm, I'm not sure that the real harm is in keeping her off the ice. I feel like the real harm is letting her get on the ice so young with someone pushing her so hard in the first place.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, Mary. What is the point of ethical code for sport? Is it to be scrupulously fair to every individual athlete who may or may not be, you know, implicated in something that might affect their performance? Is it to give Valieva the fairest shake possible, or is the point of a code of ethic for sport to ensure the most level playing field for all competitors, and thus to not care so much about irreparable harm done to the competitive prospects of any individual competitor, so much as the irreparable harm done to the integrity of the event altogether. And I gotta think that it's the latter, that the point is to make it fair for everyone, not to be fair or unfair to any single person. And that's what I think sort of sucks about this.
1: After a quick break, Justin Peters will be back.
0: price and coverage match limited by state law
1: part of the reason i think a lot of people including you have been so upset about what happened with kamila valieva during this olympics is because of russia's history with doping and i'm wondering if you can tell the story of how we know about that history It goes back to the 2014 Sochi games, right?
0: Yeah. So, you know, back in Sochi, uh, the 2014 games, which were the Putin games, uh, (laughs) they were being held. It's their unofficial title. The the Putin 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 games, Games. yeah, unofficial. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's what it said on the T-shirt. Russia won the most medals in Sochi. And then a little bit later, it came out that a lot of those medals had, uh, had a taint to them. A little asterisk. A little asterisk, a big old asterisk. A whistleblower in the Russian anti-doping lab uh, came out. This person is now in hiding, by the way, Um, came out and, you know, said that during the games, there were squads of Russian operatives going and switching the urine samples. They had a bunch of athletes who had been doping under the supervision of the Russian state. And they had been passing dirty urine during the games. And then in dead of night, Russian operatives were creeping into the lab, replacing the dirty urine with clean urine that had been collected before the games, and then sending that bogus clean urine on for testing so that it appeared that all of these athletes were winning uh, just, you know, fair and square.
1: And it wasn't just the pee switching. This guy who came out as a whistleblower. He was also like, by the way, I designed the doping. I came up with the cocktail of the doping. I decided what alcohol to mix it with, like whiskey for men, vermouth for women. He had a whole plan. He was kind of proud of it. My favorite quote from this guy is, all athletes are like small children. They'll put anything you give them into their mouths.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, there was actually a Time's op-ed in 2017, I believe, from the World Anti-Doping Agency investigator who looked into this uh, and and he said, um, basically, when you get to a certain level in international sport in Russia, you have no choice. You dope or else you don't compete. Like this was a state-sponsored operation and it went counter to the entire premise of the Olympic movement.
1: Well, and there's an irony to the fact that the people running the doping program are the same people running the anti-doping lab that the sports community relies on.
0: It's it's very 1984, isn't it? And, you know, this guy who had been in charge of the program blew the whistle on the program and— The IOC got very upset and tried to impose a ban on Russia. And then Russia appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the CAS. Really? Yes, it's the same guys. And the Court of Arbitration for Sport said, okay, so, you know, we've got to be fair. You want to give them a four-year suspension. Let's make it a two-year suspension. And also, let's not ban the Russian athletes from competing. Because, after all... We have to be fair to every single individual athlete, right? So what happened in 2018 was that Russian athletes were allowed to apply to participate in the games. And if they were clean, they could participate under an entity called Olympic Athletes from Russia, or OAR. And then this whole framework effectively continued to 2021 and 2022.
1: Well, and now they've changed their name slightly to the Russian Olympic Committee right? That's what they're wearing this year?
0: That's right. Russian Olympic Committee, and they're not supposed to display the Russian flag, but they can wear the colors of the Russian flag. They're not supposed to say the word Russia, but in practice, as anyone who's watched the games knows, the commentators say Russia all the time. The Russian Olympic Committee, the athlete from Russia. It's a distinction without a difference.
1: There's something I've been thinking about when I look at Russia's history with the Olympics and how they were, quote-unquote, punished for what happened with doping in 2014. And the thing I keep thinking about is that it's very obvious, like, how you would actually fix the problem that happened, right? You would not have the individual host countries all testing their own samples. You would come up with some kind of neutral way to make sure that what you were seeing from these athletes was real. Was that even considered here? Uh,
0: That works in theory, in practice. I don't know how effective that'll be. I mean, I feel like there would be just as much obfuscation if the testing was the province of some, you know, grand international body trying and failing to track down these samples in a sort of timely manner. And yeah, you could say, well, if you don't let our testers in, you know, you can't come to the Olympics. But the IOC tried that and the Court of Arbitration for Sports said, nope, sorry, you can still come. Point is, that's what's so maddening about this. There are no easy fixes. There are no easy solutions here. The Olympic movement, which you'll hear a lot about if you watch the games, you know, is supposed to be, you take an event like the Olympics, right? And you use it to build a peaceful and a better world. And that's all fine and dandy in theory, but...
1: Is there a peaceful and better world without any consequences for people?
0: No, no. <laughs> you can't have peace and you can't have progress without consequences for malefactors. You can't. You just can't. You need punishment. You need actual consequences, and that is what the IOC has been unable to provide, and that is part of what makes these Olympics such a tortured and difficult viewing experience. I'm still loving them, but, you know, I I sort of hate myself for it.
1: Justin Peters, I'm really grateful for all of your reporting here.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Mary.
1: Justin Peters is a Slate correspondent. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We're led by Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. Tomorrow in this feed, it'll be What Next TBD with Lizzie O'Leary. She'll be here Sunday too. And I will catch you back here bright and early Monday morning.
0: You know, when the piss man comes to my doors for a very different reason. Uh, uh, anyway.
1: I hope the piss man's not coming to your door.
0: No, no well, you know, I, I'm not listening to the phone book anymore. Uh, <laughs> buckle the fuck up, podcast listeners, here I go.